Welcome to the Linguava podcast, the invisible profession, where we give you tools, tips, and resources in medical interpretation and translation that help bring to life our profession and ultimately help improve health outcomes for the limited English proficient and deaf and hard of hearing community. Welcome everyone to the Invisible Profession podcast. We do this podcast so that we can help expand the interpretation translation profession, share ideas, tools, tips, and resources that hopefully are adding value to you and the interpreter translator community to ultimately improve health outcomes for the limited English proficient and deaf and hard of hearing communities. And today I'm with a a dear friend and uh, someone who's a real leader in our industry, Mary Suits. And just to give you a little bit of information on uh, on Mary, Mary is an anthropologist. She's a social researcher and policy analyst, and she's also a Oregon State Medical Interpreter, certified medical interpreter. She's an adjunct professor of anthropology at PSU, Portland State University, specializing in the culture of Latin America. She's worked with the Hispanic community for over 40 years um, doing research, which helps inform her um, interpretation work. And uh, she's also the director of education programs for the Oregon Healthcare Interpreters Association, or as many of us know it, OHCIA, developing the curriculum for the 60-hour healthcare interpreter training that is required for all qualified and certified interpreters of spoken and sign languages. She oversees the continuing education program as well there. She provides instruction along with various continuing education classes, including cultural awareness for interpreters and other healthcare professions. So very excited to have you joining today on the show. Welcome, Mary Suits. Thank you, David. I'm great to be here. Great to have you have you with us this morning. And it is uh, great to see you. It's been been so long since we've I've been able to to see you in person or even see you on, on video. So it's great to see you. Yes. Back when we had real live conferences, I think. <laughs> right. That would that would have been the, the last one, the OHCA conference. So Mary, a question for you. A lot of us know about the OHCIA, Oregon Healthcare Interpreters Association, and some some people listening here might not know yet uh, about the OHCIA. So, in your own words, I, we can read the mission statement on the website. But in your own words, what is the what is the the mission and the purpose of OHCIA? OHCIA is an organization that was started. Uh, by working interpreters, and it was created for working interpreters in order to meet what had, at the time that it was started, um, what had been new legislation requiring that interpreters uh, get credentialed and and helping them find the means to do that and to uh, help us to um, make it an affordable way for everybody to access the training and not only the training, but get support to make sure that we are successful as interpreters and as professional uh, individuals, how to make a living at being an interpreter, how to make a viable Mm -hmm. uh, economic uh, decisions about being interpreters. So helping people uh, basically strive to be the best that uh, that they can in their field. 
Yeah, no, it's and well, you guys have been doing such a phenomenal job at that and doing the really leading in the the interpreter training field and doing right now. I think you mentioned doing fifty students, uh, fifty students attending your trainings per per course and doing four four courses right now online, uh, four courses a year. So I, I applaud you and commend you for the for the work that you guys are putting in there. And, and so you're, and you're, you're leading the, you're the director of education program. So you're leading the, the trainings and you're the, the, the lead trainer and teacher in those courses. Is that right? Yes. It's, um, it was kind of a funny thing when I first started, I did not plan on being the instructor. I said, I already have like five other jobs. And, um, so I, I said, I will help you to be the person who sets the curriculum, who sets up the classes, who hires the instructors, who makes sure that uh, every all the content is according to OHA policy, et cetera. And, um, and, and then at one point I was asked to set up the online training program. And I thought the only way that I can do the online training program is if I uh, actually interact with the students and do, uh, do the mm-hmm. training one time just so that I can see how it flows. Um, and that was my intention at the time. But then to uh, our goal was to create an online training program that was specific, uh, like a new type of uh, a new way of training the interpreters. And so it took me about a year to figure out how to use the or how to create a curriculum when I first started. And then it took me about another year to figure out how to ad- adapt that curriculum to an online training. It was our goal to help uh, yeah. interpreters in the rest of the state get their uh, training. And so we created a, an online training program. And unfortunately, the only people who were uh, who had the skills, who were certified interpreters as required, and who also were experienced educators and who had the uh, technological knowledge to do an online training were uh, Heidi Schmaltz, who uh, rest in peace, just uh, passed away recently, and uh, and myself. And Heidi was already teaching a class online at, uh, through another college, and so she was not available. So it sort of left me holding the ball of doing the online training. And so since COVID started, I have uh, I have been the instructor for the whole course and the online training. And well, it's been great. I have to say, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say too, that from the interpreters I, I speak with, I hear nothing but raving fan reviews about, about you and your teaching style and, and the course itself. So for those who are looking at taking an interpreter training course, I, I would highly recommend looking at OHCA's uh, course and you can find information about their course on online and be able to register for the next upcoming, upcoming course. You talked about something very interesting that I've been talking about a lot lately, which is how to make interpreting a career. Interpretation, for those of us who who work as interpreters, whether full-time or part-time, the majority that I talk to do it because we love it, because we're passionate about it. And simultaneously, we're trying to figure out, okay, now how can I do this as a, as a career? How do you answer that question for someone who's thinking about getting started, how do I make interpretation a career and what what should someone be thinking about when they're getting started? 
Well, you know, that's a really great question. And I know that that is a, a big question for us as uh, healthcare interpreters. Um, what I see really, there's two types of individuals who are interpreters. There are individuals for whom interpreting is a great way to have a flexible job, a flexible part-time job. Yeah, People yeah. who are students who work while they're on vacation or they interpret when they're not heavily into finals week or whatever. And so for them, it's very convenient. Of um, Mothers who have children who are home sometimes and not home other times and people who might have other part-time jobs, um, but not uh, who are looking for a flexible uh, job. So that's one type of individual uh, interpreter for whom, you know, having a flexible, uh, you know, job is more important than having a very high paying job. The rest of us who, for whom interpreting is, and I also have to say I have other careers. So interpreting is a part-time job for me as well. But for those of us who have uh, interpreting as a full-time career, then what we need to do, we are far, far behind in, the, um, in our profession in comparison to court interpreters or uh, ASL interpreters who correct, have correct. had years of advocacy in legislation to make sure that the, uh, the credentialed interpreters are paid a very decent uh, income. And so for us to be able to advance as a profession, we need to bring ourselves also to the same level of, of interpretation as the court interpreters, as the ASL interpreters. And we need to stand up for our, our rights. A lot of, of interpreters are, who are immigrants feel that they don't have a voice and nobody is advocating for them. And uh, the reality is that when OHCIA started, we were one of, there were, there had been a couple of attempts to start uh, organizations for healthcare interpreters here in Oregon. Yeah. Um, but when we started about 11 years ago, we were the first successful organization who said, you know what, we have to advocate for each other. We're all in this together. And we need to make sure that interpreters are, uh, you know, are brought up to a higher level of professionalism. and. Uh, now I'm thrilled to see that there's other organizations and we are all working to advance our profession. So uh, one of the things that we need to do as interpreters is understand our own value. A lot of people, especially those immigrants, especially indigenous immigrants, think of themselves as they've always been put down in their own countries and here, and there's not large populations. And so they feel like they're under, that they're the underdogs. But the reality is, we need to understand the value that those individuals uh -huh. bring to a career where there's a high demand. Yeah. And, um, and then start saying, you know what, this is what I'm worth. And then bring that level up. And so we're working to create a training program for all interpreters so that all, uh, you know, all ships rise together and that we can be, uh, become more successful. And so by understanding that this is what we're striving to do, uh, we can all work together to achieve that. We also need to understand that 
opportunities are no longer just here in Portland, if this is where you live, or just out in Prineville, if that's where you live, you need to think about we have remote interpreting that wasn't available 10 years ago. And we want to create not just the best interpreters here for the state of Oregon, we want to make the best interpreters in the country and then in the world. We want yes, Oregon yes. to have the best trained interpreters in the world. Yeah, one of the things is as as a 1099 contractor, as as we know, you are your own business owner. It is it is your you are running your business as a 1099 contractor, and so you you mentioned some of the, the court interpreters and ASL interpreters that are a little bit farther ahead as far as structure and certain uh, policies, the way things are, are run. So talking about spoken language interpreters as contractors, one of the things that, that I think is really important to kind of piggyback on what you said was that as a contractor, you are in charge of your business, which means you're also in charge of setting your own rate. So that's a really big topic that doesn't get a whole lot of, of traction. We're actually doing, doing a webinar um, coming up this week that's going to be talking a lot about how to run your own business as a contractor and rates are going to be a big part of it. The, the, the rate piece, I still hear interpreters often say, well, I've been working at this agency for five or six years and they've never given me a raise. <laughs> and so with that, I want that, that kills me because I want to politely lean in and say, you can give yourself a raise. You can give, you set your own rates. It's not really a raise. It's more just, these are my rates this year, right? Competitive rate, right? So you, if you're just charging way, way, way up here, it's going to be difficult for, for an agency to probably agree to those rates, but it should be a competitive rate and it should be, you should be able to give yourself an adjusted rate each, each year that is, com- that is competitive, but that, that is steadily increasing. Um, and then the agency, the language service provider that you might work with, of course, has to agree to that rate, right? And, and if they don't agree to it, then you can either choose to work with them or, or not. Um, you could go, go work, work somewhere else. And so I think that's a really important piece um, that I want to help empower interpreters with as well as that you, like you mentioned, interpreters are bringing a lot of, a lot of value. It is a partnership and, and, and I want to be able to help and see interpreters understand their, their value and worth in this, uh, in this industry. Mm-hmm. You're very right, David. Um, when I first started in the interpreting world, it was a, a profession I didn't know uh, on a professional level, right? So I didn't know that I had the ability to negotiate. And when I started, I felt that I was I, I knew that I was a contractor, but I felt that I was contracted by one agency. I didn't understand that I could uh-huh. actually contract with more than one agency at a time. And so that agency, fortunately, kept me busy all day long. I mean, you know, we Spanish interpreters are so much more um, privileged than other um uh, languages of interpreters of, of languages of lesser diffusion, because we have work coming at us that we're turning away constantly. And so when I first started interpreting, I was interpreting for an agency that was paying me $18 an hour. And um, then the state required certification and I went ahead and I got certified right away. After that, other agencies started approaching me and they said, you know what, we'll pay you more. 
Um, I was fortunate in that in the training program that I attended, you came and spoke to our class. And I said, that's the agency I want to go interpret for. <laughs> so that you're that's actually Wilma, is the only agency I ever approached. Everybody else has approached me or I've been referred to another agency. And so it's, um, it's something that you as an interpreter have the ability to say, you know what, I can choose to work for this agency uh-huh. at you know, a, a lower rate. Or if that agency is not willing or able, sometimes they're not able to because of the contracts that they have with their providers. Uh, if they're not able to uh, give you a higher rate, then what, you know, you have responsibility too to become a better interpreter so that you can take the higher level of skills and then transfer them to other agencies yeah. or other opportunities. If you become a simultaneous interpreter, you're going to get paid a premium. If you interpret, you know, certain type of appointments, you get, might get paid more. So, you know, you can choose the agencies who you work for and you Correct. can say, well, you know what, I'm going to charge you $150 an hour. And then you can just sit home and wait for that phone call to come, but it's probably never going to come. Right. But well, And, like as, and said, as you mentioned, reasonable. Yeah. as you mentioned earlier about all, all, all ships rising, the more the more that you have on your, on your resume, as far as being a qualified or certified medical interpreter and being compliant and having all your vaccinations and taking certain, certain courses or things that you've, you've done, you're adding to yourself professionally. You're making yourself a better interpreter. And also you're making yourself more desirable in the market space so that you can get more, more work regardless of the, of the language that you're, you're interpreting for. Um, it gives you more, more power as well. When, when negotiating, it gives you more negotiational, uh, leverage there. Exactly. Exactly. Like you mentioned, it's very different looking at, let's say Spanish or Russian or Vietnamese, Cantonese, Mandarin, because there is so much more volume there. And for, for languages of lesser diffusion, there are lots of opportunities to be able, if you're wanting to do this full time, being able to do video relay interpretation or over the phone interpretation where, where you can work with agencies that might be here locally, that might be in other, other places. Uh, and as a contractor, you're able to work with, with, countless, uh, with countless agencies as long as you can, you, you can manage, manage that, right? <laughs> so that's something as well that I think interpreters can can really think outside the box and be innovative when it comes to opportunities mm-hmm. that they they want to take advantage of, especially in, in our new remote virtual world that we're yes. we're definitely in now. Yes, we're we have to stop thinking inside that little tiny box of you know my the place where I live is where I interpret. It's, that's no longer the case. What I tell my students is that if you are a French interpreter, you're probably not going to get a lot of work here in Oregon. But you know what? What if you're interpreting for an agency in Quebec? Or what happens if you are interpreting for English speakers in France? Yeah. All right. So don't limit yourself to thinking that you have to only interpret for the people who are, live in the area where you live. You have to think about what about the people in your home country who might need interpretation into English? Yeah. Right. So, you know, think outside of that box. In your trainings, Mary, you know, you've trained so many different different interpreters. Uh, what are the most common questions that you get on a typical basis from from interpreters about the role of interpretation or about the profession? 
You know what, David, I have to tell you that the most misunderstood thing in my experience has been the process of getting certified by the state of Oregon. Um, there, uh, no matter how many times I try to explain it, and then I even bring in the Oregon Health Authority to explain it, and then people, and I send information, and I post it on the classroom, people always email us yeah. and say, you know what, I'm, I, I want to apply for it to be an Oregon interpreter. There is confusion between our name, OHCIA, and the OHA, the Oregon Health Authority. The Oregon Health Authority is the government agency that runs the healthcare interpreter program. They require that the interpreters have a training, and OHCIA is one of the approved trainers. We have trained about 90% of the interpreters in the state of Oregon, I'm proud to say, and uh, but we are only one step in this and the road towards getting certified by OHA. There are other requirements that have to be met. And I just can't stress enough that once you've taken our class and you have received your, your certificate of completion saying you've taken our class, that doesn't make you a national certified interpreter and it doesn't make you an Oregon certified interpreter. There are further steps that need to be taken. All right, so it's just a, just a part. If you can cross off the 60 hour training piece, and then you still have have more more components as well. So I'll, we'll definitely um, leave some some links for for resources there in case there's individuals that have more more questions because I, I I would agree with you. I, I I hear a lot of those questions as well that that still can be confusing for for a lot of people. So we want to bring that clarity as much as as much as we can. Um, and then as an interpreter, you know, we face so many different scenarios when we're in the room interpreting and a question question that came up came up recently that I'd love to love to ask, get your your take on as well so many different different scenarios that, that can take place but the the question is what does an interpreter do when they witness discrimination during an interpretation appointment well, the code of ethics uh, for interpreters it very clearly establishes that one of the uh, one of the roles of the interpreter is to be an advocate. And I always tell my uh, students, think of the roles of the interpreter being an inverted triangle, where the the largest, widest uh, area is where you are a conduit, taking language and converting it and delivering it. And you might be a clarifier, you might be some other things. And the very tip of the triangle, the very smallest amount of work that you do is to be an advocate. And there are times that I have actually had to advocate, I can count on one hand. But if you see an actual violation of the Civil Rights Act, where a, a person is being discriminated against, especially by a provider, then it is your obligation, it is your duty to make sure that you intervene. And I have, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm sorry to say, I've also seen cases of, of discrimination by interpreters and I did intervene in that situation. But the most common of course would be where you would witness a, a, a situation where a patient is being denied services or where their health is being put at risk. And in that situation, um, depending on whether it's a, it's a hospital setting, you would then contact uh, or you would either direct the patient to contact or you would help them interpret while they contact uh, the, the, you know, someone in administration to make sure that they are informed of the situation so that they can be remedied. Because the, if you ignore it, the problem isn't going to go away on its own. 
and another person will be discriminated against. So when you're doing a favor of advocating for someone, when their civil rights have been violated, you're also doing that same service for other individuals as well. Yeah, that's so, so, so true. Yeah, I've unfortunately witnessed as an interpreter as well, very few times, but I have witnessed some discrimination um, during, during an appointment from a, from a provider. And I, and I did, I did speak up uh, and, and report that to the, to that, to that clinic. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's important that, that us as interpreters, we, we know that we do have a code of ethics and one of those scenarios, like you said, that doesn't happen very often, but we can play the role of, of an advocate for when, mm-hmm. when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, as a, from, from your perspective as well, of training so many different interpreters, what is, what is the, the, that one thing that separates the, the good interpreters from, from the great interpreters? <laughs> what separates the good interpreters from the uh, from the great interpreters would be the passion, the passion. There are those individuals who interpret because it's an act of love for their communities. It's an act of service to the individuals that uh, that know who uh, that they know need the interpreter. It's Probably people like, uh, you know, people like our executive director, Susie Milano, whose Uh passion cannot be understated, who uh, has experienced the the, some of the trials and tribulations that uh, that our LEPs go through, the limited English proficient uh, individuals who are immigrants, who may not know the language, who may not know the healthcare system, who may not understand uh, what is happening to them and who may not have the resources to be able to to get what they need. And so those individuals who can be empathetic, Uh who can be compassionate, are uh, and who will, are willing to go beyond just going in and going blah 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 blah, blah and then walking out and going all right you know what is it time for you know uh, for cocktails now those are the individuals who really are going to go the extra mile for the interpreters and who are going to make sure that they are improving themselves so that they can help the LEP. Yeah, it's all about yeah. Every like you mentioned earlier, all all ships rising rising together and taking taking that ownership. And uh, an initiative, in order to uh, in order to do so, and Mary, if you if you could leave one one message to the interpreter community, what would that message be? Gosh, David, I would say um, I you know it's a it's a, a double a kind of fork thing. Uh, don't be mediocre, just like what I was saying. You know, mm-hmm. be the best. We want to make Oregon interpreters the very best in the world. And so be the best that you can be. You're going to make us all as a profession be better and be able to improve ourselves. So um, the other part of that is never underestimate yourself. Never underestimate the fact that bilingualism is a privilege. It's an opportunity for you to bridge cultures between your uh, source language and your target language communities. And so... uh, don't undervalue yourself and don't undervalue your community either. Make sure that you understand how, how important you are. Yes. No, I, I love, love that. So, so, so important. 
and it's on it's on all of us just to continue to daily make that make that progress. Yes, and it, you know our end goal really is to make sure that we provide the best health care for those individuals who we are speaking for, whose voice we are being. And so if we if we improve ourselves, we are improving their health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, that's ultimately what, that's what it's all about, right? That's the journey that we're all yeah. on. We're, yeah. we're here so that at the end of all of this, what, why, why are we here? What, are, what's the end result of us showing up and, and doing a successful job as yeah. an interpreter is that someone's patient experience is going to be improved. Someone's going to have Im- improved health outcomes as a, yeah. as a byproduct. And that's, that's worth it. That's worth more than, more than any, in anything. And it's on, yeah. on all of us to, to raise, raise the bar, raise the standards of excellence so that we can make sure that that, that that happens and that everyone's getting the language access that they need, that they have the right to, to have. Right. It takes a, it, you know, it takes a village, as they say, we have to understand that we are all in this together. Um, not only the healthcare interpreters, but the agencies, the state, you know, the Office of Equity and Inclusion, so that yeah. we make sure that we are complying with uh, the Civil Rights Act and the CCOs and the LEPs, right? So we all yeah. have to work together because really in the end, it's really looking out for each other. Yeah, I, I love that. So for those people who want to get involved with OHCIA, what, where should they, where should they go? What are the, the main opportunities right now for uh, getting involved with OHCIA? Well, you can go to our website, ohcia.org. Now, remember, okay. the ORG is because of the fact that we are a nonprofit organization. Although people think that we are a large organization, we have a board of directors. And then there's actually three of us who are the hands-on uh, individuals. And all of us have full-time jobs. We all have uh, other careers, but there's Susie Milano, our executive director. There's Jessica Palacios, who just replaced uh, Guillermo Ortiz uh, as our training coordinator. And there's myself, the director of education programs. And between the three of us, you know, we have to, we run a very lean and very uh, resourceful and very adaptable organization. But so be patient with us if we don't re- uh, get back to you right away. But we love, um, we love our interpreters and we, we depend a lot on volunteers. So for our conferences, for our training, anyone who uh, is able to help other volunteer, or rather volunteer to help other interpreters get the training, uh, please reach out to us. Mm-hmm. And is there going to be a 2021 virtual conference or a conference this year? Do we know Stay yet? Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay okay. Tuned. All right. At this point, uh, at this point, probably 2021 is not going to happen, but we will definitely have one in 2022. Okay. All right. We'll continue, continue to stay tuned. And uh, I just want to say thank you, Mary, for all of your hard work and, and efforts. Thank you, Susie Milano, uh, for all your hard work as well. And, and Guillermo for helping continue to lay the foundation. Uh, we're just very grateful for all the work that, that you all are doing. And like you said, there's a, it's a small lean team, but you're, you're, you're touching a lot of lives and ultimately you are improving health outcomes. And so we're, we're grateful for the work that you do. It's, um, it's really admirable and we're happy to be, be partnered, partnered together with you. And I encourage anyone who is looking at taking interpreter training to reach out. Uh, If you're interested in, in volunteerism as well, there's always opportunities with OHCA. So uh, do connect with them on, uh, on, on, through their website, or I know they have a Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram 
account mm-hmm. uh, as as well. Mm-hmm. So we'll make sure that we'll we'll put those links here for for anyone who's who's wanting to get connected with with them there. Thank okay. you so much. It was an honor. It was a privilege, and it was a lot of fun. Have a good day. Thanks, Maria. You too. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye.